Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder, uh, got a special guest, Andrew Badaferrano from MILB.com. Andrew, how's it going, my man? Doing all right. Thanks for having me again. It's always uh, fun talking with you guys. Yeah, always, man. Always a good time. So um, I guess we're going to start off with the with, with the with the not so great news. Um, MILB, of course, made minor league baseball shut down for the season. Um, how, how are you holding up here? I know you guys still have a bunch of news because you have expanded rosters, but mm-hmm. uh, this has to be some sort of a shock, huh? Yeah. I mean, we all found out officially kind of like everyone else. We, uh, you know, found out that day, you know, and it, it was, you know, not surprising because we saw the writing on the wall. It was going to be tough with all of the different leagues and all the different states that are involved. So many different moving parts. Uh, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall a while ago, but, you know, to see it officially come down, it, it hurts obviously. And you, you know, you feel for the players that, you know, potentially might lose a year of development if they're not on one of these full rosters, you feel for the team employees, you feel for, you know, fans that just love going to, you know, minor league games and, you know, they don't have any other source of entertainment in their towns. Uh, you know, you feel for a lot of different people just kind of, you know, stinks the, you know, under the circumstances we're all living in right now, but, uh, you know, it, it does unfortunately make sense with everything that's happening. Oh, sure. I think it's going to be tough enough to, for major league baseball to pull off a season, but for, uh, you know, six or seven different leagues in the, uh, in the minors, or that's probably at a minimum, uh, trying to do this with, with, you know, a, a fraction of the, um, of the funds available to, to make all these guidelines kind of work. Um, it's probably the, the, the smart move, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a shitty situation, but I think it kind of had to be done. Now, the players who are going to like the guys who aren't named, who aren't on the, the 16 man expanded roster, who won't be training at team facilities. Um, are there avenues for these players to like properly develop this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if the, if I would say properly, because I mean, it's going to be truncated no matter what, uh, you sure. know, guys were mostly, you know, working out on their own or if they were, you know, luckily and, you know, maybe 40 man guys that were working at team facilities, but you know, the unfortunate side of that was, you know, you see all these different spikes in cases in Florida and Arizona that made it a little bit tougher at first for a lot of those places. But, uh, I mean, there's always the independent route, the independent ball route. Uh, it, it's hard to say, I don't, I don't want to put those teams down, but you know, I don't know what those protocols throughout those leagues are going to be looking like. I don't know if it's going to you know vary team to team or if there's like a league wide thing. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a lost year for some of these guys, but you know, it's very difficult for a lot of these non top 100 top 30 players that, uh, you know, kind of lose out on a year. And, uh, hopefully once, you know, baseball kind of comes back in full, including the minor leagues, it doesn't, uh, impact the game too, too much. Yeah, you would hope so. And, um, you know, you know, you'd like to hope that the parent clubs are going to be, um, you know, at least relegating some funds uh, to, I guess, to their to their minor league system to at least make sure the proper training is there, proper um, support. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's probably wishful thinking. So uh, I guess, yeah, let's we'll jump over to the positive because that's just a, a depressing topic right now. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they get it all worked out. But um as I was, we were saying, major league rosters are expanded to 60. The player pool is a maximum of 60. There's still your active 40 man roster, but then you have your, uh, 
I guess, well, it drops down from 30 to 28 who's going to be on the major league roster. And then you have, a, I guess, a satellite training facility where uh, it's pretty much like a it's, I want to say it's a triple A team, but it's not. There's a combination of young players, you know, guys who were close to the majors, guys who were just, you know, signed recently. It's uh, it's really curious to see how this is all going to shake out. Now, you've been covering teams in the in the mostly the NL East regional area, correct? Yeah, that was what I had assigned. So, you know, I was doing a lot of with the Mets, Marlins and Nash, uh, Nationals, the Braves. Uh, so a lot of those teams, you know, just kind of looking a at their drafts and then, you know, moving on to when they announce these player pools, looking to see, you know, potentially which of these prospects or, you know, minor league guys could make an impact in this 60 game season. Well, yeah. And I guess with the Braves and the Marlins specifically, they, um, they really went for, uh, I guess for, for a youth push and try to get these guys some experience and some, uh, and some live at bats. I mean, you look at the Marlins. Some of the guys we were talking about last time you were on, J.J. Bleday, uh, uh Gerard and Canacion, uh, Jazz Chisholm, uh, you know, these guys are all going to get a, a fair look or at least, you know, they're going to get action. And if if need be, you know, they're there to be called upon. But um, I guess we'll have to see how that all plays out as the season trudges on. Uh, even the Braves, you know, they have I know they added Bryce Ball a few days ago. Uh, really just a, a fun group of players. Uh, De La Cruz, Jaseel De La Cruz got added. I saw that. Um, really, I mean, do you think, do you think if the situation arises, throwing these guys into the frying pan, into the fire, might be the best route for them to get some solid development time? Or do you think that, you know, making that leap could be, uh, uh, I guess, have adverse effects? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of learning as everything goes on this year. So I don't want to say, oh, wow, if the, if the Marlins throw in Sixto Sanchez this year, it's really going to hinder his development in 2021 and going forward. Uh, I mean, in a shortened season, it's interesting because, you know, I don't want to say it's like the playoff run or, you know, within the playoffs where sometimes you'll see you know, a rookie or, you know, a minor leaguer come in on the playoff roster. I like it comes to mind K rod in 2002 with the angels where he made a, you know, huge push for them during the postseason. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think, I, I really don't see it hurting their development process. I mean, always getting those extra innings or extra at bats. I don't think it hurts. I mean, there are obviously some guys that are a little bit farther away that, you know, maybe haven't had the at bats at double A AA or triple A yet. Uh, you know, you might not want to rush them to face big league pitching, you know, five times a game. But, you know, if it's in a if it's in a shortened role where, you know, you're giving them positions where they can succeed a little bit. I, I don't see that being, you know, detrimental at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm OK with throwing a guy like uh, I guess if I'm from a Braves perspective, you know, throwing a guy like De La Cruz, who has uh, overpowering stuff, mm -hmm. um, tossing him in there to get an out when major league hitters have absolutely no book on them, you know, that in certain spots that could be advantageous, but uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a curious, uh, a curious spot. Um, I, you know, the Mets really aren't going that, that route. They haven't called up many of their, their big name prospects, uh, the Beatties and the Allens. And I don't even, I don't even think Mauricio's on the uh, Mauricio's on the, on the roster, No, but um you know, they're kind of taking a different approach. They're bringing in your Melky Carreras. They're bringing in your Hunter Strickland's. They're kind of filling out their roster with uh, more major league ready guys. Do you think this is a team by team sort of 
strategy? Do you think the Mets feel that? I mean, I know this is all speculation, but um, do you feel that the Mets might be more suited for as a, as a win now club than say the Braves or the or the Marlins? I know the Marlins are probably after runs here, but um, the Braves are a very very talented team. Do you do you feel that these two stark starkly different uh, approaches? Um, do you see the the advantages of both? I should say. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see both sides of it where maybe the Mets feel that they're, you know, really, really top prospects. Like you mentioned Mauricio or Beatty, those guys were not going to be in the major leagues this year. So it wasn't worth, you know, putting them in a position where maybe they were on the taxi squad and getting at bats. You know, I I don't think that would have been the right move in those cases. You know, you look at the Braves, obviously a team that's contended the last couple of years, have a really strong team in the major league level, and then also have a very strong farm system still. A lot of the guys that, they brought up and uh, granted they have basically their 12 best prospects at camp, whether or not they'll play this year uh, in major league games is, you know, remains to be seen. But a lot of those guys had already played or pitched at the double a triple a level. So they've had that experience. And if you look at the guys on the Braves list, a lot of them were probably going to play this year had 2020 been a regular year. So I don't think it's all that surprising to see all of those Braves players there you know you look through their different pitchers and their position players like oh wow a lot of them probably would have gotten up at some point or some of them have like a bryce wilson who's already pitched in the major leagues you know kyle wright same thing with him uh so i mean for the mets you know you obviously have jimenez and peterson those are the names that people know off the top of their heads if they don't even follow the minor leagues they probably heard them a lot yeah. uh they probably would have been in the major leagues this year at some point you know jimenez probably a little bit quicker i would think um but yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the arguments for both. And maybe the Mets just felt very comfortable with the the roster they had. And granted, they were, you know, pretty good last year, you know, just falling short of the playoffs. Um, and maybe they didn't want to rush those guys that, you know, are higher up on their list that don't have quite the number of at-bats at the higher levels of the minors that they want to see before, you know, promoting them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and they're not even up to their max. They they I guess they called up three pitchers the other day mm-hmm. uh, to bring it to 54. And it's Jordan Humphreys, who is probably, you know, almost ready to make his uh, his debut after dealing with some injuries. Uh, right. Steven, Steven Gonsalves, who I'm, I'm really uh, high on as far as back end rotation, maybe swingman type of help. Um, he's a highly touted prospect. Uh, I, I love a good reclamation project, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, that Hefner and the and the gang uh, with their with getting their getting their paws on them could really uh, have a good uh, promising effect. But you know they still have room to to breathe, and if they need the extra troops, great. I, I do like keeping guys like Beatty and Mauricio down. Um, I. I Especially like keeping those pitchers out of there because you don't want to expose them too quick. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, I can't say that I'm not intrigued by like a Shea Langoliers or like a Braden Shoemake in Atlanta. These guys, you know, barely have any any professional games under under their belt at this point. And they're, uh, you know, they, <laughs> they're a few steps away now. And that, that's exciting to me. And I think Mauricio may be stepping up and uh, and facing higher level pitchers, even if it's in the organization. Really could have been a... Um, just a plus, but again, they still have that option, which is a very, very nice thing. Uh, of course, the player the Mets are not going to bring up is uh, Pete Curl Armstrong, their first round pick mm-hmm. this year, highly touted. And you actually had the chance to speak with him recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was working on a feature about him and spoke to him. I guess it was about, you know, a week and a half ago now. 
Nice. And, uh, you know, I guess all, all, all reports that we're getting are, uh, you know, this kid's off the charts pretty much in every way, the coachability, uh, you know, just the maturity level. Um, it seems like his game, you know, that's, that's another, a whole nother point altogether. Uh, I think, you know, that's self-evident considering he was a first round pick, but, um, yeah, get, let's, let, let, let's get some fun anecdotes, Andrew. Yeah. Like you said, you know, kind of two separate points where you, know, you took, you could talk about the, you know, the on-field stuff where, you know, he's obviously very talented. He, he's a very good defensive player, very high contact guy. But then also you brought up the maturity level and that was something that definitely stuck out to me during, you know, the conversation I had with him. Uh, you know, you got to remember this kid, you know, just graduated high school, just finished. And you know, I'm talking, it was like, wow, like there are people that I know significantly older than this, that probably did, you know, aren't this mature in their thinking or the way that they speak. And, uh, you know, credit to, I guess, you know, how he was raised or however you want to put it, but, uh, yeah, definitely kind of, a an interesting guy, obviously an interesting upbringing with his parents, both being actors. Yeah. Uh, you know, he obviously didn't follow that route, but, you know, went into, you know, the baseball thing. Uh, you know, he's kind of, you know, at this point he's traveled pretty much everywhere with team USA, you know, he's won a gold medal with them. Uh, you know, he has uh, a lot of different interesting parts of his life that uh, I'm sure will come out over the you know couple of years that he's in the minor leagues with the Mets when he, you know, hopefully eventually starts next year when, uh, you know, we hope the minor league baseball returns again. Yeah, I guess I was I was really um, enamored by the fact he's into like Zen Buddhism. I think that's awesome. I think that's such a I think it'll it'll I know I spoke to Jacob Resnick about this on the show. I think it's going to add to his calm at the plate. I think it's going to be just, I th- it's such another cool wrinkle. I just, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, now this is a guy he's uh, out of, uh, straight out of high school, but is he going to be, um, you think you do, do you envision him as a fast track guy or kind of let this marinate and, um, let him develop at his pace? Yeah. It, it's always interesting with the, the high school players, especially the position players. They always, you know, they always seem to tend to take a little bit longer in terms of their development process. And, you know, you add in this wrinkle of not having, uh, you know, a summer rookie ball, like he probably would have this year, you know, whether it be in the GCL or the, uh, Appy league. Uh, so you've kind of got that to factor in as well. So I'll be curious to see, you know, say everything is uh, under ideal circumstances in 2021, where they end up putting him to start because he didn't obviously have that, you know, experience of, you know, a summer with, you know, as a professional baseball player. So I'm curious if they'll keep him make sense in spring training uh, or, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they threw him right into the fire, you know, right. Uh, you know, full season class a, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say with uh, those high school guys, if they're fast track guys, really, you know, you can always, I don't want to say safely assume, but you know, a lot of the college pitchers like, you know, Max Meyer from this year comes to mind. He's a guy that could really pitch maybe in the majors this year if they put him in a you know relief role or if they want to, you know, give him a start or something, the Marlins. But with those uh, position players out of high school, it's always it's always tough to judge, especially without professional at bats. You know, he could have a really, really good first professional year and we could have a different conversation. But right now, uh, you know, we can only obviously go off of what he had at Harvard, Westlake and, you know, the USA program. Oh, sure. And I think just looking at that alone is uh, is encouraging enough. Um, I also really like Isaiah Green, the Mets comp- uh, compensation pick, 69th pick in the draft. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> sign under slot. 
uh, I, you know, everybody hears comparisons about him and um, the speed, the bat, the power might not be there, but the, uh, I guess the run creation possibilities are, uh, mm-hmm. are extremely exciting. Um, you know, it, what do you do? You, do you know much about him? Cause I mean, I'm only going off high school stats and we're only reading kind of what we see, like kind of floating around the blogs and from, and from the, uh, you know, from you guys over at MILB, but uh, do you have any insight on what, uh, on what green brings to the table? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, you look at it, uh, the Mets go with, you know, on paper, you look at, you know, their stats or, you know, kind of their draft profiles coming in. They go with two pretty similar players. You know, you look at it on paper, uh, Carl Armstrong and Green, where, you know, they're both Southern California guys, grew up pretty close to each other. Uh, both outfielders, both play center field and both have high contact, uh, you know, pretty similar profiles. When I was talking to Tommy Tanis, the, you know, VP of amateur scouting about Green, he really thinks that, you know, for Green, that the power will come eventually. He might not have it right now. But at some point, he will, you know, profile as a guy who can, you know, change those doubles and triples that he had to, you know, going over the fence. And, you know, it's interesting to see that that thought process going in, into it where, you know, this is a guy in high school where obviously he didn't have that power. But that's something that the, you know, Mets envisioned down the line. And obviously, uh, you know, he stuck out at the area code games last year. And that was kind of how he, you know, got on the map of things. But you know, I was talking to Carl Armstrong last week, and it was interesting because he played against Team USA last fall as kind of like on their scout team before Team USA went abroad to play in a tournament. And Carl Armstrong was saying that, wow, I was like, yeah, Isaiah, he kicked our butts. He was one of the best players on that team that we were going up against. So it was kind of interesting to hear his take on someone that, you know, he's obviously going to be playing, you know, alongside competing with. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the Mets really, really valued what he brings to the table, both offensively, defensively, obviously he has a, you know, high grade for his speed, uh, and with getting Ginn as well, uh, you know, guy that, you know, similar to Allen where the signability came into question because he was uh, a rare, you know, 21 year old sophomore that could go back for another year, uh, you know, filled in kind of that Allen profile. So they got, uh, what Tanis told me three guys within their top 30. Uh, you yeah. know, not, you know, MLB.com's top 30, but the Mets, you know, had them on their own list of top 30. So it was interesting to see how they specifically valued those three guys. And like you said, uh, you know, gave Green a little bit under slot and Crow Armstrong was at slot. So they were able to, uh, you know, give Ginn a little bit more in that regard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they made it happen. And, and between Tanus and uh, and Brody and his team and the, the talent evaluators, you know, the Mets have been planting seeds, you know, good, good, potent seeds for the future over the last couple of years in the draft. And uh, you got to tip your cap. <laughs> they might not do everything right, but they have been drafting well. Um, on to the major league side. I know that might, you know, you, your focus is on the minors, but uh, what's your thoughts on this truncated season, this sprint, as they like to call it? Do you think this is going to be, uh, you know, are, are we going to get wrapped up in it? It's going to be exciting or what? Yeah. I mean, all things aside, obviously, with the virus, uh, you know, hopefully they can pull this off safely. I think we're all rooting for sure. that. I think if, you know, they're able to do that in their games, I think, I mean, everyone was going nuts when they started showing the KBO on ESPN. I, I know I was watching it every night, uh, you know, staying up late. 
I, I really think if this, you know, comes back and they're able to pull it off, uh, I mean, people I know call into question, oh, it's, you know, not a legitimate season. It's only a shortened season. But, you know, it's still games. It's still something to watch. It's still something to break up, you know, staying at home, you know, for most of the day or, you know, not getting out. It's something to do. And, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, you obviously follow baseball. You probably follow the Mets. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I would say that, you know, I personally would get wrapped up into it and get very excited for these games. That's just me. I'll watch you know any game that's on TV. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything, you know, wrong with, you know, watching it and getting excited to it. You know, you can always use distractions at a, you know, a unique time that we're all in right now. Uh, I don't think there's any problem with getting wrapped up in it. And I, I'm sure people will once games are starting to be played and, you know, things are happening on the field and there's always going to be position battles. You know, there's always things to, you know, think about and, you know, get excited about. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, um, I'm actually all aboard with this plan. I mean, sure, there's going to be an asterisk at the end of at the end of the season. Whoever was the World Series champion this year, there's always going to be an asterisk saying shortened season, you know, COVID-19, however they want to phrase it. But um, yeah, I mean, guys, everyone's tied for first place with 60 games left. Uh, this is going to be wild. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to, like you said, it's baseball. And, yeah, you know, just seeing clips floating around of whether it's uh, overseas leagues, whether it's, um, you know, old vintage retro clips, whatever you, whatever you see, it's, it's baseball. And it brings you right back. Like, I caught myself thinking today, like, holy shit, we're like under three weeks away. Like, <laughs> this might actually happen. Because uh, we and, were so close last time. And, and right. you know, that's, that hurt. And not only that, uh, I'm sure you've been watching it on Twitter, you know, MLB Network, ESPN, whatever it may be. Uh, all of these, uh, you know, inner squad games, they have been very fun. But like, I, I've been getting into watching, just watching the clips on Twitter, just guys taking at bats in empty stadiums. Like, it's been fun. Uh, I don't know. It's just been something fun to watch and see. You know, I saw Josh Donaldson at a home run today and he was like going crazy around the bases. It's just exciting. It's fun to, you know, see it and kind of have a little distraction for a little bit. Oh, exactly. And uh, it, it really, it feels like the players want to be there. It looks like the players want to mm -hmm. be there. Um, yeah, I think we have to commend them for taking that risk. Same thing goes for the staff and the media. Oh, for sure. But, you know, I, I mean... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we have to really, really hope that this all goes off without a hitch because, uh, you know, the odds of that happening are still, you know, probably not great. But this is going to be a um, it's going to be an experience. And for everyone, that's for the players, the fans, the teams, everybody. It's just, you know, it's baseball. Baseball's back. And yeah, show me all the inter-squad games. I know L.A. was like televising it. And they had counts yeah. and announcers and everything. Like, that's awesome. I saw, like, they said they had a clubhouse attendant playing left field. The guy made a running catch. It wasn't like a, you know, impressive running catch. It, we just ran in, came in on it, and fired at home. Like, he, he, it, it was a, awesome. a clubhouse attendant. It's just it was, great, There was, a guy, there was a guy baseball. in Houston uh, playing center field. You know, same thing. Made this, like, running catch toward the wall. I think he robbed Bregman of it. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun to kind of see almost like a, a motley crew of, you know, players that are there obviously you have some prospects that are getting at bats and some innings right now i think davy garcia was pitching with the yankees today yeah. uh and then you have kind of like you said like the clubhouse attendants were bullpen catchers playing the outfield you got a whole kind of 
mishmash of guys. It kind of reminds me of high school baseball practices or even probably college baseball practices where guys are, you know, warming up for the season. It's just like, all right, we're just going to, you know, do it. No umpires. Like someone's going to stand behind on plate or behind the mound and call balls and strikes and let's get to it. Uh, it's yeah. fun. And like you said, like teams are broadcasting it, you know, teams are tweeting out video clips. It's all, you know, highly produced. It's, it's just a, you know, it's fun. Like I, I'm really into it. I, and I, I, like you said, I, I really do commend the the players that have really, you know, wanted to play and, you know, are putting themselves out there obviously at a, a difficult time for, for everyone. And, uh, you know, there are obviously some players who have opted out and I, you know, feel for them. They obviously have families and people that they care about that they don't want to get sick. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I commend whatever decision a player makes that, you know, is in the best interest for their health or their family's health. Uh, and like you said, there are so many guys that really have, you know, gone with it and really want to make the season happen. And I commend them for that too. Oh, definitely. And, and for the guys who did opt out, you have to respect their decision. Like nothing, nothing gets me going more than seeing people on social media calling these guys names or, or saying that their their heart's not in it. Their heart's exactly in the right place. If they're if they're deciding to put their family ahead of their million dollar a year profession, I'm pretty sure their heart's in the right place. So, um, you know, everybody, it's their own personal decision. You kind of have to respect that. But at the same time, I'm so, so appreciative of the guys who decided to, uh, to oh, come back for, for sure. us. Yeah. You know, and uh, there's a lot at stake for them, too. But, you know, uh, selfishly, I like to think it was for the fans. So, you know, we all we all need this, like you were saying. And um, yeah, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. And it's like, you know, you got to think about it from a player's perspective. These guys are some of the most competitive people in the world at anything. And they have not been on a field in a competitive game. And I'm not even going to count Cactus League, Grapefruit League games since last September for some October uh, for yeah. obviously the teams that made it deeper into the playoffs. So it has been a really, really long time. And I can only imagine that these guys are really itching. Like, all right, like we don't care that it's 60 games. We want to play. We want to win. And I'm sure a lot of these teams that, you know, might not have, you know, even come close to sniffing the playoffs in a 162 game season. Like, Hey, like anything can happen in a 60 game season. Like we could, you know, go 40 and 20 and have a nice stretch and make the playoffs. It gives really an incentive to all of these teams to really try and try and win, uh, you know, once it starts. And obviously you'll see kind of maybe some, you know, unique statistical things like I know a lot of the stuff going around today is about, uh, you know, can guys hit 400 in a 60 game season or can some guys hit like 25 to 30 home runs if they go on a crazy pace? It would be interesting to see, you know, what kind of unique things, you know, you can look out for in a season so weird as the one that we're going to hopefully embark on, you know, in a couple of weeks. Sure. Uh, here's a question. You think Jeff McNeil? All right. I, I, all right let's not single it out to Jeff McNeil. Do mm -hmm. you think anyone's going to hit 400 this year? I could it's certainly it. not I, unheard 100, of. 100% could see it. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, I want to say it was 2007. I might be wrong on the year. I would have to look it up. But I remember Chipper Jones got really, really deep into that one season. He was hitting like 390, and it was definitely past 60 games. It was getting to the point where it's like, you know, middle of the summer where he was still hitting, you know, at a very respectable pace. Uh, so 60 games for sure. Like someone could get off to a crazy hot start and then play, you know, league average the rest of the year and still, you know, get close to 400. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's definitely out of the question. McNeil specifically, 
Uh, I mean, he obviously has the hit tool to do it. I know last year he kind of cooled off toward the end of the season, was kind of tapping into more of that power. So be interested to see the type of hitter that we'll see from him once he comes back. Will he kind of go back to more of being a gap to gap guy or will he kind of, you know, mix in the power a little bit and kind of, you know, hit a couple of long balls here and there. But uh, again, not out of the realm of possibility. That's for sure. 60 games, really anything can happen. I found the stat you were looking for. Uh, June 1st, 2008 on June 1st, so Chipper was hitting okay. 405. Yeah. Chipper was hitting 405 on June 1st. Exactly. That's, that's about 60 games. It is very, very possible. I mean, what did Tony Gwynn hit in 94, 394? Uh, 394, you know, and that got shut down in August. And that was in August. So, I mean, obviously, Tony Gwynn's one of the all-time greats and didn't strike out ever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, oh it, is, God, it is definitely, definitely possible. I think that's the one thing I'm most excited to see potentially this year in terms of, like, statistical oddities that, you know, you won't ever see in a 162-game season that we could have a 400 hitter this year. That'd be really, really cool. Uh, I mean, obviously uh, a little bit different circumstances where it's not 162 games, but still, you know, be like, wow, like that was really cool for 60 games that someone was at that pace. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, that's one that definitely gets an asterisk. You can't say that was a 400 season. No, 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 no. That one gets two asterisks, (laughs) but um, it is a little bit different in terms of like, you know, in terms of like a whole season where, you know, whoever wins the World Series, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, they'll get an asterisk next to their name. I know it's a little bit different with 81 and the strike, but, you know, you don't hear about people saying, oh, the 81 Dodgers have an asterisk next to their name because they won the World Series in a strike right. shortened season. And obviously it was longer than the 60 games that we're about to have. But, you know, you, that was a very long time ago now. And, you know, you don't hear about that. So I imagine down the road, people will obviously mention it. but. I don't think there's any less, you know, validity to winning a World Series just because of, you know, the circumstances you're given. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I can see both sides of the fence on that one. Oh, I think we'll, we'll know. We'll know in good time, in due time, whether people view this as a legit season. Because, you know, 60 games is less than a little more than a third. So, right. You know, like you said, so much can happen over over a full season. And that's kind of the beauty of of this game. But, uh, yeah, I think everyone's on the same level playing field. There's going to be this is the first I mean, health is always uh, a priority over the the long haul. But uh, this is this is a whole nother beast as far as health being a priority. Um, you know, the Mets have seemed to embrace it. I know Michael Conforto was speaking to the uh, media over the weekend. I think it was Sunday or Saturday on 4th of July. Yes, doing it. yes. And and was very much um, embracing that that idea that, guys, if we stay healthy, that's, you know, that many more games we win. So, um, you know, they're, they're really they're they're taking it upon themselves to kind of self-police and. uh and kind of make sure that everyone kind of follows the guidelines. I know Brody was out there with his silly sash on the other day. And, you know, I got a chuckle. Sure. But why? But that's that's beyond <laughs> the point right now. That's, and that's saying, saying 10 feet apart versus six. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so th- they're definitely taking, it seems like, extra precautions. Uh, you know, I don't think any extra precaution right now, whether it's in baseball or just in your your regular life, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, no, certainly not. I put a mask on everywhere. And if someone calls me a sheep, I bat them. So 
<laughs> bah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really do. I, I've done that. Someone called me a sheep in Target. And I just, I was with my kids. I can't start cursing at them. So I just went, right. bah. <laughs> Don't they have to wear a mask I, at Target? Isn't that like a rule? Oh, yeah. But they walk in and they take them off. Oh, yeah. I guess you know, you, people, you walk, are, you walk past the people at the door. You know, you walk right. past someone at the door and then they take them off. And it's like they're asking for it. But, you know, I'm not that guy, Andrew. I'm not going to go around starting trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, wild, wild, wild times. You're you're on the island. You're local. We we only actually live like 15 minutes apart. Folks. Yeah, very close. But uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, you can't actually go see people uh, very often these days. So we're still doing this uh, via Skype. Maybe one day in the next, I don't know, two or three years, we'll be able to do one of these episodes live. But uh, Angie, you holding up well over there on the other side of town? Yeah. Yeah, hanging in, you know, same as you, wearing a mask when I'm going out, trying to be safe and socially distance. And, you know, it's obviously a, a tough time for, you know, everyone, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, trying to avoid getting sick or, you know, employment status. It's, uh, you know, I think really it is interesting. Like everyone is like almost in the same boat. And even though, you know, we're in July, uh, you know, I really hope people can kind of remember that, you know, we're all in this together. And I know it sounds cliche because it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I hope everyone stays safe and, you know, kind of respects everything. And, you know, we can kind of get through this, uh, you know, tough time. That's right. You hear that, everybody? It's not just about you. It's about everybody. <laughs> well, Andrew. <laughs> Since we're both West Babylon High School graduates, I have a piece of West Babylon trivia. It's oh, just one question. It. It's just one question. I'm I'm hoping maybe it, you know there's only one major league baseball player that's ever graduated from our school, so uh, you, you pretty much know who the question's already about. So here, let me fire yes, it off. Yes, of course. Uh, here we go. What round was? I'm sorry. What spot? in the 1996 draft was Billy Koch drafted? Ooh, wow. That is a good question. Uh, He he, he went to Clemson, right? He did go to Clemson. So he got drafted by the Blue Jays, right? He did. That's correct. Okay. I know that much. He obviously had a really, really good fastball back then. He was breaking a hundred in high school. You don't see that. No. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that team was obviously very good in almost one state. Um, almost made it. Justin, well, a lot of people, I don't know how many people that listen to this follow Atlantic League Baseball, but Justin Davies also that played for that team, played for the Long Island Ducks for a very long time. And if I'm not mistaken, he was also drafted by the Blue Jays. Uh, I believe Davies is a Ducks Hall of Famer. He was an original Duck. and He was uh, on he the was Ducks for, for a very long time. He was there for a solid decade, I want to say. Probably played with Edgardo Alfonso at some point. Oh, for sure. How many guys went through that team? Carl Everett oh, was yeah, there. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, Carl Everett was there for a very long time. Folks, if you're listening outside of New York, if you ever come to Long Island and baseball is actually like live baseball is back, please go check out a Ducks game. It's probably some of the most fun you'll have at a minor league ballpark on Long Island. And that's a joke because there's only one minor league ballpark on Long Island. So. That is true. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you want to count MCU Park in Brooklyn as part of Long Island. Oh, that's a whole that's a, that's, that is a, That is a technically, well, that, <laughs> the Ducks, obviously, uh, you know, not 
affiliated or anything, but I mean, you could go into the whole debate is Brooklyn. I mean, physically it is part, but. Oh, physically whole, it is. Physically, you yes. Brooklyn, but, you tell someone yes. from Brooklyn, they're from Long Island, they're going to give you well, a stern talking to. If you live close to the Southern State Parkway, it's only about a, you know, 45 minute trip. It's not very far, to be honest. I mean, yeah. you can get there pretty quickly. Oh, you could, I think you could probably drive a minute a total of three minutes and go between Nassau, Queens, Nassau, Brooklyn in those three minutes. It's just, it, it crosses right yeah, over each other. It's yeah, right it, there. It, it is, it is kind of weird. Like you kind of, once you hit Nassau, like the end of Nassau, like it's that very quick stretch where it's like, you know, Nassau, Queens, Brooklyn. I mean, obviously if you're having a good traffic day, if you're not, then, you know, you're gonna be stuck in Nassau forever. <laughs> but, uh, uh oh, to answer Park, the actual question back. that you, yeah. Answer, oh God. Question, well, I want to say, I want to say the third round. I, I mean, no. I'm probably very wrong. It, it's, you know, I think he sold him a little bit short. He was the first round fourth overall of the Toronto. Wow, I did not know. I, you know, I, for whatever reason, I was going to say first or second round, but I, maybe I'm just devaluing, you know, coming from West Babylon. But, uh, wow. I, I did not know that he was a top five pick. That is, uh, I, I never looked that up actually. He was a third round pick of the Mets coming right out of high school, but he chose to go to Clemson. I did not know that either, actually. Um, that was, those were exciting times because, you know, Billy Koch was the local superstar. This oh, of guy, course, you know, of course. They were very papers. good team. I think Sports Center. He was on Sports Center because of his fastball, and he did really well in the, uh, the Olympics, the 96 Olympics. I think that's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was all very big. And coming out of high school, when he got drafted by the Mets, forget it. Oh, forget it. We were all going crazy. But, you know, went to college, and that's that's always a solid choice. But, uh, yeah, uh, looking through his baseball reference page, just very, very nice little career. Oh, and, and he gets the uh, unfortunate cameo that he has in Moneyball, where he blows the, you know, 20th win of the streak. <laughs> I mean, they obviously win the game, but, uh, you know, he's not very much in that movie up until the point where he blows the save. Oh, that's uh, all right. There's a team of characters. Of course, Hatterberg gets the, uh, gets the, uh, the leading role there. What a, yeah. what a film. Oh, what a it film, is, what a book. It's a, it's a good movie to watch. Uh, I, I know I watched it this year on what would have been opening day. We did a string of baseball movies. And I guess if you're a Mets fan now, you kind of have a tie to Little Big League with Pete Cor Armstrong and his mom you know, starring in that movie. So that's always a good one to watch, too. I saw that in the movie theater with my brother and my dad. It is, I think, the first baseball movie I personally remember watching. Uh, I remember really? we rented it from Hollywood Video. If nice. People remember Hollywood Video. We got it from there. And I remember, it might not actually be the first one I remember watching, but it's the first one I remember like really getting into and really enjoying and watching it many, many times afterwards. Uh, I didn't really get into Rookie of the Year as much as a kid. Um, I've watched it a little bit more now and think it's funny for what it is, but I don't know something about little big league. It's just like the baseball scenes. I thought always thought were very well done. It kind of has like an analytical side where, you know, obviously Billy in the movie, he's 12 years old, but he knows, you know, every little detail about baseball and, you know, positional guy, just a little different. It was just kind of a different movie for what it was. It wasn't, I just think a traditional kids movie. There was a lot of, uh, you know, fun stuff to it. Yeah, I think they saw the uh, the popularity of Rookie of the Year, which we also went and saw in the movie theaters. <laughs> uh, I think it was I'm the same my year, age if right I'm not now. mistaken. 
It was. So maybe they were competing. There you go. But I remember both. And it's, yeah, I would say a little big league blue rookie of the year out of the water for sure. That was just, it was a, it was more than just, like you said, it was more than a kid's movie. It was a baseball movie and it's, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of similar to, I get, I don't want to say it's like obviously the same movie as the Sandlot, but you can watch the Sandlot and as an adult still enjoy it, kind of maybe get a little bit more out of it than you did as a kid. Uh, same as Little Big League. I think you can enjoy, you know, both as a kid and an adult. They're, they're both good baseball movies. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, <laughs> you know, Pete, if Pete Cor Armstrong can get Billy, uh, oh, I forgot his name now. Billy if he Haywood. Can get that guy to show up. Billy Haywood. Get Billy Haywood to show up and do like his walk up, like, like hype up thing video. That, that'll that just be uh, icing on a cake. That'd be so cool. But that would never happen. He had, I, <laughs> I did ask circle. him that if he had, he obviously he has seen the movie. Uh, he does yeah. like the movie. And I asked him if he's watched it with his mom anytime soon. He said, not anytime soon. Uh, it can always be a little bit awkward watching with, uh, you know, your parents. And he said, I, I don't remember what show it was, but he said he was watching TV with his parents one time and his dad was on it. Um, and his dad got killed off on the show. He's like, yeah, that was when it was like a little bit weird. So uh, we don't always do that. Uh, so be interesting to see if they end up uh, watching it at some point before he makes it to the majors. Geez, Billy Haywood's got to be pushing 40 now. That just crossed my mind. But yeah, well, we'll see. Pete Carr Armstrong coming from uh, coming from Hollywood and over to Flushing. Exciting times. <laughs> all right. Well, Andrew, I think uh, I think we hit all our bases for the for this episode. Uh, what do you got going on over at MILB? Yeah, right now we're, you know, taking a look at all of the player pools that all these teams have, looking at all the top, mostly, you know, the top 30 guys that are there, but obviously the minor leaguers that were included that aren't in the top 30. So we're really going team by team, similar to how we did with the draft. If you didn't catch any of those, you can take a look at that. We talked to a lot of the, you know, directors of scouting for those stories and kind of got insights on why you know certain picks were made. Uh, and for the player pools, just really breaking down what their minor league experience was and if, you know, they could potentially make an impact this year. So we're really kind of focusing on, you know, hopefully this season that's coming up soon and what it could mean for the minor leaguers that are included in these rosters. And you see it more and more each day that either they're included within the the main player pool or, you know, at the alternate sites that these teams have. So a lot of these top guys are still getting in work, regardless if they're going to be playing in a game this year or not. Oh, I think that's going to be huge. I think it's going to be huge if large portions of major league teams go down this year. I think it's going to be huge down the line. Um, getting the experience that that these guys are this year. I think, uh, you know, there's positives to be found here amid all the uh, amid all the, the, the bad news that comes along with this. But, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was always a blast. It's always a good time. Uh, everybody check out Andrew on Twitter. It's Andrew at bat with two T's at the end. So it's Andrew A-T-B-A-T-T. Um, of course, you know, keep uh, stay following MILB.com. Uh, keep up to date on everything that's going on with these expanded rosters with uh I guess whatever's whatever's happening on that end of the uh, the spectrum these days, because um, you know these guys have to get their work into. So I'm sure there's going to be uh, that's going to be happening in some fashion, and Andrew's going to be the guy to give it to you. So, uh, Andrew, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, fun as always. Awesome. All right, everybody. Simply amazing. Subscribe, rate, review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time. Let's go Mets.